0: Our scripture this morning is from Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we'll read verses 1 to 4. Would you please stand for the reading of scripture. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. May God add his richest blessing to reading of this portion of his holy word will you pray with me please again our father we're thankful for your word and we pray that by the power of your holy spirit you would come and speak to us so that we would see our lord and savior high and lifted up with the eye of faith that our ears would be open that we would hear the voice of our good shepherd and know him and follow him and offer ourselves to him promptly and sincerely in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher in Jesus name and for his glory and honor amen be seated please how do we eliminate the true obstacle to Christian unity in our day unity is in short supply just This past week, half the country's reaction to the president's annual address diverged from that of the other half more sharply than ever before. But while our national disunity may be discouraging, it is certainly understandable. We don't all believe the same thing. If you are a socialist, no one could reasonably expect you to support a capitalist. If you believe that a baby in his mother's womb is a living human being, you cannot be expected to support a government that applauds legislation allowing abortion through the end of the third trimester. There are radically different viewpoints in America today. So our national disunity makes sense. It's not encouraging, but it makes sense. But in the same respect, church disunity makes no sense. We all believe the same thing in the church. At least we're supposed to. We may have some different political or economic ideas, but when it comes to the articles of our faith, we all believe the same things. Now, I'm not talking about the differences between denominations, the different strands of Christianity, I'm talking about in the local church right here. Paul was talking to a local church in this passage, and he told that local church in verse 2 to complete his joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. That is a call to unity in a particular local church, the church at Philippi. If you keep reading, you see in verse 3 what the real issue is in that church. Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. One of the better commentators on Philippians, Dr. Silva, gets right to the heart of it. He says, and I quote, The true obstacle to unity is not the presence of legitimate differences of opinion, but self-centeredness. Shifting attention away from ourselves becomes the challenge. Disunity in the church is not like our national disunity where we come from radically different points of view. Where there is disunity in the local church, there is self-centeredness in the local church and that self centeredness is the true obstacle to Christian unity and Paul is telling the church to eliminate it. So how do we eliminate self-centeredness which is the true object objection to Christian unity? The true obstacle Christian unity. Let's find out. First in this passage, you see the result of unity. Look at verse 2 again. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. Paul says that if they are of one mind and love, they will complete his joy. The result of unity, true Christian unity, is joy. When there is true unity in the church, people can say with the psalmist the words we sang, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. All the words we will sing. From Psalm 133, Behold how good it is and pleasant when brethren dwell together in unity. It makes The church joyful to be unified also makes the pastor joyful for the church to be unified. Paul was no longer in Philippi. He was in Rome under house arrest, but he started that church. He was the founding pastor. Today we would say he planted the church at Philippi. And he says it would bring joy to him to know that this church he had been so instrumental in establishing was of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now notice Paul says there in verse 2 it would complete his joy or fulfill his joy. One of the things we see throughout the book of Philippians is that Paul has learned how to have joy in all circumstances. He later says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Paul does not say that his joy is contingent upon unity in the church at Philippi. He always has joy, but he says that unity in the church will complete or fulfill his joy. This makes me think of a minister I interned under in seminary, Jamie Hunt up at the Cottle Creek A.R.P. Church. When he first went to that church two months before I was born, the congregation had had a sharp division. But the Lord used his ministry to bring healing to that church. And 23 years later, when I first showed up at that church, the first thing that struck me as a first-time visitor was that those people were truly joyful. You could tell just to walk through the door that those People loved each other and had real unity. I remember after the service, most of the congregation would stand under the oak trees out front and visit till 12.30 or a quarter to one. I remember how Mr. Hunt would brag about how long the people would stay after church to visit with each other. It brought him joy to see his people love each other. stayed at that church 33 years, I believe. You know, we have a preacher, not here today, but we have a preacher and his wife, Dr. Guy and Bessie Smith, who attend here regularly, who stayed in the same place over 30 years, I believe, and appropriately, the name of that church is Unity. Paul says, Make my joy complete by being Unified. You see the result of unity. Secondly, in this passage, we see the shape of unity. Look at verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, that's what true unity really looks like. You know, there is a bad kind of unity. A church can be unified in a very unchristian and unspiritual way. When I was a boy, on occasion, my grandparents would attend a little church in the country not too far from where we lived. They didn't belong to that church, but had a good friend there and liked the pastor. So occasionally we would attend, but... I still remember on the few Sundays we went there that basically no one ever spoke to us. There was a handful of men who stood out front smoking and talking before church. And I remember they would just stand there and stare at us as we walked from the parking lot to the front door of that church. A church can have a destructive kind of false Unity, a unity that basically says this is our little club. We've been here all our lives and we like each other just fine. I know a church that was full in the 1960s, lots of children going great. And one of the elders said, and I know it's true because he told me about it 40 years later. He said in a session meeting, not supposed to talk about what happens in a session meeting, but that was in the 1960s, so we can get away with it. He said, we need to work on getting some new people in this church. And another elder raised his voice to him and said, we got a good group here. This church is fine. We don't need any new people. They'll just mess it up. That's not the kind of unity Paul is talking about. This true unity is based on selflessness, no conceit or selfish ambitions, putting the interest of others ahead of self-interest. That's how it works in marriage. You put what you want ahead of what your spouse wants, your marriage will be joyless and possibly, if not probably, end in failure. What makes a successful marriage is not that you just happen to agree with your spouse on everything all the time. (laughs) No, it takes work, work to learn that we will have joy if I learn to put my own interest on the back burner. Same is true in the church. We don't just naturally agree on everything or naturally feel drawn to each other, or have lots of things in common socially, naturally. No, real unity takes the hard work of self-denial. Dr. Kent Hughes tells the story of the conductor of a symphony orchestra who was asked what is the most difficult instrument to play, and he answered, as I'm sure you already have guessed, second violin. He said, I can find plenty of first violinists, but to find someone who can play second violin with enthusiasm, that is a problem. And if we have no second violin, we have no harmony. Dr. Hughes quoted a trite little bit of verse, but so true. It takes more grace than I can tell to play the second fiddle well. The true shape Real Christian unity is self-denial. So you see the result of Christian unity. You see the shape of Christian unity. And thirdly and finally in this passage, we see the ground of Christian unity. Look at verse 1 again. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, and sympathy. Paul here says there are four things that if they are true, they must inevitably lead to unity. Number one, if there is any encouragement, any comfort in Christ. Two, if there is any comfort from love, Three, if there is any participation or any fellowship in the Holy Spirit. And four, if there is any affection and sympathy. Let's think about it. First of all, is there any encouragement in Christ? There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Nothing can separate us from from the love of God in Christ. My God will supply all of your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And I could go on and on till dark. Yes, there is encouragement in Christ. Yea, all I need in Thee. To find, O Lamb of God. In Christ, there is forgiveness of sin. There is righteousness to cover our shame. In Christ, there is power to overcome sin. In Christ, we are the children of God. In Christ, we have the wisdom of God. In Christ, we have eternal life and no one can pluck us out of his hand yes there's encouragement in christ now let's skip to the third clause of verse one if there's any participation in the holy spirit is there, is there any fellowship in the holy spirit is he in us is he among us We've seen it before. There's only one Holy Spirit and He is in every true child of God. Is there any participation in the Spirit? Now let's come back to number two. If there's any comfort from love. I took it out of order to set the context. The comfort of love is between Encouragement in Christ and participation in the Spirit, the Son, the Spirit. This love Paul mentions in the middle is the love of God the Father. Paul's famous Trinitarian benediction is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God that is the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Here he says, if there's any comfort in Christ, any fellowship in the Spirit, any comfort of love, the love of God, the Father. You see, the ground of true Christian unity is God himself. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The ultimate supreme unity is God himself. The old creed says we worship the unity in Trinity and the Trinity in unity. The most perfect unity of all is that of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God is love and therefore he must be triune. God were one person he could not be love he would have had no one to love before he made the world self love is not love according to the bible our culture today emphasizes self love above all other things and that's why our culture is more fragmented than it's ever been before Look at the top of your bulletin, what I went over with the children. 1 Corinthians 13 defines love. You see it it right in the middle. It is not self-seeking. It does not seek his own. Since God is love, the same is true of God. Love is patient. Love is kind. God is patient. God is kind, and God does not seek his own. He is not one self centered, narcissistic person. He is three persons with one mind, one essence, one God, perfect unity. And this God has made us in His image and our sin has wrecked, not annihilated, but wrecked His image. But in Christ, He is restoring His image in His people. When there is unity in the church, God's image is being restored and formed in His people. That's why the devil loves to stir up disunity in the church. He hates the image of God above all other things. And the best way to attack the image of God is to turn his people against each other. And so you see, self-sacrifice, not seeking our own, not insisting on our own way, That is the key to unity and true joy. And that's why after Paul lays out the Trinitarian ground of unity, lastly, he says, if there's any affection and sympathy, if we know the true God, if we reflect His image, there will be affection and sympathy for one another. As he has for us. Paul says if. If there's any encouragement in Christ. If there's any comfort from the love of God the Father. If there is any fellowship in the Holy Spirit. If there's any affection and sympathy. The if is not a question of if it exists. There is consolation in Christ. There is comfort in the love of God the Father. There is fellowship in the Holy Spirit. Whether or not they exist is not in question. The question is, do you have it? there is encouragement in Christ are you in Christ how do we eliminate the true obstacle to Christian unity it's very simple get out of self and in to Jesus Christ by faith